on this episode of the Naturist Living Show, Naturism in France and Research into Objectification. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome to episode number 38 of the Naturist Living Show. My name is Stéphane Deschain, and I'm your host for this episode, and I'm also the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And I want to start by thanking everyone for sending in all the comments and notes and suggestions and uh, just general encouragement, which is really, really appreciated. I can't read them all anymore, but occasionally a few come up that are interesting, which I want to share with you. One of them came from Jochen. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing your name properly. I apologize if I'm not doing quite right. I'm guessing from the spelling. Uh, Jochen is from Germany. And uh, he writes, um, he writes a fairly good long email, but I'm just going to quote to you the part that I want to talk about. He says, I'm not sure if naturism has to be a philosophy at all. I mean, it's just getting a connection to nature. Do we really need to build a philosophy around that? Do we need clubs, magazines, and podcasts for that? Aren't we making something as natural as naturism into something special by giving it so much attention? And that's a good question. And as I discussed in episode 30, um, there certainly is a difference in the types of naturists that are out there. There's the, uh, what I call the recreational naturists, and then there's the more ethical naturists. And the difference is whether you're just enjoying it, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course, or whether you're realizing that there's a lot more to it than just taking your clothes off. Um, I've always maintained from the beginning that naturism is a life philosophy, and it's not, in fact, it's not about taking your clothes off. It's about respect for self and respect for others and getting closer and more respectful of nature and our natural environment. That Taking your clothes off is much more of a tool to get to that uh, level, and that, that's the more ethical naturist way of looking at it. And why that's a philosophy is because you have to look at the branches of philosophy that contemplate... Uh, ethical issues and the right way to live. And there's been many philosophers talking about how we should live. And if we all lived as naturists and it was natural, then we wouldn't have to talk about that. It wouldn't be a philosophy because it would be the way everybody lived. But, uh, well, I suppose it could be a philosophy, but people wouldn't be as aware of it because it was it'd be the, it would be the standard of living, the typical way that we thought. But we don't, as we've discussed many times in all of these episodes, it seems it's very much a recurring theme, society is screwed up. We have uh, really messed up the way we look at ourselves, at our bodies, at each other. Um, we have over-sexualized and made us all feel bad about ourselves and what we look like. We have distanced and divorced ourselves from nature to the point that we feel that we're somehow above it and separate from it. So naturism is a philosophy because it tries to solve all these issues. It says that by living the way we do, by thinking the way we do, it's a better way to live. So that makes it a philosophy uh, by most definitions of what philosophies are. And while not everybody lives that way, I think it's important that we promote it as a philosophy and as naturists that we recognize that it's not just fun, which it is, 
but it is a lot more than that. It's, it's a better way of being. It's a better way for society to progress. And it's uh, a way that, sadly, too far too few of us understand. So we have to spread the word. I also got a great email from Maya, and uh, rather than uh, read it myself, I thought I would just give her a call and ask her to read it for us. Hi, Stefan. It was just a couple of months ago when I was searching for more information on the theater show Montparnasse, hoping that I would still be able to watch it somewhere in Toronto when I discovered your podcast. And even though I was a little bit disappointed when I figured out that the show wasn't on anymore, I was delighted to find much more than I was looking for. The whole philosophy of naturism, well thought through and presented in the best possible way, honestly and simple. So first of all, thank you for sharing your thoughts and insights on such a beautiful concept of living. I was lucky not to have to get into naturism. Being raised by my mom, who has been a naturist for all her life, I hardly knew about textile beaches when I was a kid. I grew up in Belgrade, in Serbia, which is part of former Yugoslavia in Southeast Europe in the late 70s and 80s, at a time when naturism was flourishing on nude beaches along the beautiful Adriatic coast and haven't stopped practicing it ever since. Of course, my husband and I are now raising our seven-year-old daughter in the same spirit. We moved to Canada two years ago and soon enough found Bear Oaks where we spent two great weeks last and this year. I've caught up with all the episodes and on top of their informative value, many made me think of naturism from different perspectives. I particularly enjoyed the three parts of nudity and human body, the vitamin D episode, Fairly proper and the one on fashion. Your podcasts also helped me to understand better a general attitude toward naturism here. So I'm not so surprised anymore by a weird look in my colleagues' eyes when I tell them that I'm a naturist. And I can see better how the fact that my daughter has to wear a bathing suit top when going on a summer school trip is related to deeply rooted fear of nudity. On the other side of Atlantic, we've never experienced this sort of fake morale, and honestly, we expected that Canada would be more open-minded in terms of nudism. Please keep questioning why this society is so ashamed of its flesh, and what contributes to this fear. I think that only through this broader sociological approach can be fully understand what level of beauty and harmony naturism offers to modern society. You've already discussed some of the causes of misconceptions about naturism, presumptions that nudity is only about sexuality, the conflicting media messages about self-acceptance, religious prejudice, and etc. And I would like to add to this list something I've noticed as a newcomer to Canada. That is, constant focus on presentation, appearance, outside, form, staging, facade, decoration. There is no place for modesty. 
people are actually learning skills that would help them look confident in public. How to look at each other's eyes, how to adjust their voice so it sounds confident, how to use their hands when talking, how to cross their legs, etc., etc. At schools, kids are learning how to present from their early age, and sometimes they're marked only for presentations, not for knowledge. So it looks to me that due to this focus on making a good impression and due to an increased worry about what others think, the essence, real content, real self-acceptance is lost. It's more important to show self-confidence than to be self-confident. This is, of course, completely opposite to naturism. Its goal is being confident by getting to know yourself, accepting your body, mind, sensitivity, fear, sexuality, and respecting all of that. For me, naturism has always been about getting under the surface, about removing layers of clothes, personal fears, social pressures, and our ignorance toward nature. It would also be interesting to hear more about some socially more acceptable movements and beliefs, such as environmentalism, green initiatives, respect for diversity, and how they are all in line with parts of the naturism philosophy. Thank you again for the inspiring podcasts. The idea of having it only as audio file is brilliant. I look forward to hearing the new one. You know, France is often regarded um, as uh, the mecca for naturism. Uh, we, I mean, naturism is generally agreed that it started, uh, modern naturism started in Germany. Um, but today, um, France is really the, the place where there are the most naturist, the biggest resorts. It's, the French government even has a department within the Ministry of Tourism to promote nothing but uh, naturist tourism. They have uh, brochures that are created by the government that are sent all over the place. It's, it's, it's not just a big movement. It's not just mainstream in France. It's big business as well. The uh, government in uh, 1974, under the Pompidou government, as it was known in France, uh, created the district of Cap d'Ag. They took... Uh, Cap Dag is a city of its own, and they took a section and created a naturist uh, district, if you will. And uh, it was paid for by the government. It was uh, 500 million euros, and it was uh, a huge development. There's two kilometers of beach, and there's stores, and there's high-rises and buildings and gas stations and everything you can imagine, and you can be nude all the time. And most people who are naturists for a while have heard of Cap Dag because it seems like this... Um, sort of ultimate destination. It, there's also very, very large resorts um, like Montalivet, uh, Euronat, uh, La Genie, Arnaud-Chat. Those are all very big summer destinations uh, with uh, tens of thousands of people attending those for their summer vacations. And they are also little villages within those areas, uh, perhaps a bit more natural than a Cap d'Ag. Uh, millions of French citizens uh, vacation every year in those resorts or on the beaches or on the hundreds of clubs that are throughout France as well. But as advanced as that is, and as uh, in a way it's more advanced than we are, but it's also telling us a little bit about where we might be going. And it's not all perfect, and there are problems out there. Uh, Cap Dag has been in the news a lot in the last few decades. 
uh, either too many dressed people or too many uh, uh, sexually liberal people, uh, no standards. Um, everything is driven, kept by commerce instead of uh, nature's philosophy. So there has been a lot of uh, concerns over that. And um, I ran across uh, this uh, program uh, that was uh, done in August of 2011. It, it, was, it aired on the uh, M6 network in France. Ici, on coupe les portables. C'est quand même plus agréable d'être nu que, que d'être habillé. Il n'y a plus euh, bah, cette barrière, tiens, euh, je mets des vêtements pour me camoufler, ça sert à rien. Je la trouve belle toute nue. <rire> Ici, nous, on vit nu. Ça nous aide à être à l'aise avec notre corps. Il n'y a pas que les connus, il y a nous, il y a les gens habillés. On retrouve des sensations qu'on a perdues, c'est un retour aux sources. Ouais ouais c'est une drogue et j'ai pas encore trouvé le médecin pour me soigner. Est-ce qu'on a le droit de juger les autres si le seul critère est leur apparence Voilà Là, on n'a jamais eu ça avant. Tout ça, c'est un outil au profit de la luxure. Ben, c'est la robe cap d'ague. Hein. C'est sexy, transparente. Ben, ça s'amuse avec d'autres filles, c'est sympa. The program is called Zone Interdite, which it means a forbidden area, forbidden zone. And it's a really excellent current overview of naturism in France, both good and bad. You see the naturists, the ethical naturists, who have the pure view, and you hear from them, and you hear the people who are more the uh, sexually liberal, who are looking for swinging and partying and that kind of thing. You hear from those who really just want to be nude for part of the time or in the pools. Uh, you hear the more, um, again, ethical nature as the ones who see it more as a lifestyle, complaining about all the dressed people around the place all the time. Some of the problems we're certainly seeing in North America and problems that could certainly get worse um, if we don't defend uh, the naturist values, if we don't recognize the philosophy and if we don't try to remain pure and really uh, fight against those who would exploit naturism, uh, which would destroy the philosophy uh, that we've created. So the show was really good, but of course it was in French only. And so what I've done is uh, spent quite a bit of time actually uh, doing uh, French subtitles and putting it up on Baroque's YouTube channel. I'll put a link to the uh, video itself on the show notes, which is, as always at naturistliving.bareoaks.ca. Bear Oaks, B-A-R-E, of course, O-A-K-S, dot C-A, because we are in Canada. And uh, it's, a, it's well worth your time to go and watch a show. It's about an hour. Um, and uh, as a, just a side note, uh, doing subtitles is really, really time-consuming. I think I've spent over 20 hours putting this together, not just because I had to learn a new technology in order to do subtitling, but because translating is not as simple um, as some might think. If you only know one language, you may not appreciate um, the nuances between languages and, and the role that culture plays in language. Um, when you translate, it's not a mathematical equation. You don't go, you know, X equals Y. You have to get a better sense of it. And I, the example I often give is synonyms are supposed to be words that mean the same thing. And uh, if I give you the example of uh, mad, the word mad, according to my thesaurus, synonyms are irate, annoyed, vexed, irritated, 
indignant, irked, furious, enraged, infuriated. Now, those words are all synonyms, but I'm sure you recognize that they have different nuances, different strength. Some are madder than others, some are angrier, infuriated, enraged. These are words, the imagery you come get to mind is somebody who's really mad almost to the point of losing it, where somebody who is uh, irritated is just a little annoyed. Yet those words are all synonyms, and it's the same thing. A word in English and in French may sound the same, but because of culture, they have come to mean different things. Um, one of the most uh, obvious examples is whenever I go to a restaurant, there is a section with the entree. The entrees in English are the uh, main courses, as most of our listeners will know. But in French, entree means to enter, entrance. And on a menu, you do find the entree, the entre entrees, entrees. Um, and the entrees are the appetizers, which makes sense, of course. Somehow, though, in the history of restaurant menu writing, uh, in English, entrée has become the main course as opposed to the appetizer. I don't know why. Um, other examples is uh, the word agréable uh, is, uh, is a good French word which sounds just like agreeable. Probably is the same word. But in agreeable, I'm not going to explain what it means. We all know what it does it means in English if we're listening. But agréable means either pleasant or comfortable. Not at all the same thing as some as agreeable, which means something agrees with you or you're agreeing with someone. And one of the words in here which gave me an awful hard time is, is libertines, which is actually an English word as well, but no, not a word which is in common usage. Uh, a libertine is a, a person who is very sexually free, liberated, uh, easygoing, um, you know, basically kind of sleeps around with whoever, has no issues with doing anything, very few morals around sexualities. Um, but it's not used in English. It's used much more commonly in French. Um, and it does represent not just swingers, but a whole group of people who are fairly easygoing about sexuality. And so I did use the term a little bit in the English subtitles, because it is a proper English term, but then decided to lean more towards the uh, a term sexually liberated uh, or sexually liberal. Um, because there was no word exactly like it other than libertines, which most people don't use on a day-to-day -day basis. So if you have a chance, um, go to the YouTube channel and uh, watch the show. I think it's uh, there's a good lesson in there for us as naturists in North America that uh, this may be our future as things develop and business takes over. We already have examples of large resorts in North America where money rules and naturism uh, and the philosophy and the values do not. And we have to be uh, very vigilant and make sure that we stick to our, our ethics and standards and the philosophy if we want it to continue to flourish and mean what it means to us. across an interesting article um, in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Um, it was by a, uh, a number of people, but the lead uh, professor is a Dr. Uh, Kurt Gray from the University of Maryland. He works in the Mind Perception and Morality Lab. And the article was More Than a Body, Mind Perception and the Nature of Objectification. And of course, why that's relevant to us is we've talked in the past about uh, 
the objectification of the body and uh, sexuality and related to pornography and all that. And, and it's still very relevant. But in his study, he came to some interesting conclusion. Um, he wanted to see what objectification was. And and before we kind of talk about that, um, we have to define things about because he talks about agency versus experience. Agency, when a person has agency, it's the capacity to act, plan, and exert self-control. In other words, being kind of a thinking, intentional, willing uh, being. Whereas experience is the capacity to feel pain, pleasure, and emotions. And the first thing they found, which was interesting, was that uh, the objectification or the ability to focus on the body um, was equal for both men and women. They both reacted the same way. What he found is that taking off clothes, revealing skin, uh, nudity in other words, does change the way that people uh, perceive the, the, the person. But unlike the traditional view of objectification, they didn't see that people without clothes are mindless objects. Um, but they saw them as having a different type of mind, a different uh, way of being. What they said was, uh, according to their experiments, is that seeing somebody as a body uh, strips him or her of the uh, competence, the ability to think, of, of uh, the ability to be a leader. And that happened even uh, without nudity, uh, if they just focused on the uh, body, or they forced them to focus on the body, even when dressed, you still had that effect. So essentially, a person who is nude is, is seen as more of an experiencer, one who is uh, more about more capacity to feel pain, more vulnerable, more into pleasures and emotions and less into uh, thinking and leading, which, of course, that suggests that, uh, you know, revealing flesh and can be bad in terms of an employment situation. But my question that I had after this was, um, that is in the traditional textile world, of course, but in the uh, naturist world, some of these preconceived notions when you see somebody nude uh, may not exist. And of course, we don't know the answers, but I thought I would uh, call Dr. Gray and ask him the questions directly. So thank you for taking the time. I appreciate that. No worries. Uh, I haven't read the article because I guess I have to subscribe to the journal or something. I saw the press release, which resulted in a few uh, press articles around. So um, if I sound like I don't know all the details of your research, that's probably why. Okay. Okay. The just so you or, or whoever else is listening knows, the article is also available on my website. So if you just kind of Google me, it'll pop up. Um, oh, the full article is available? Yep. Oh, okay, good. Okay. Excellent. So that was an interesting uh, piece of research. Um, the um, I guess I should start by asking you what motivated you to look into this area. Well, a couple things. Um, most of it stemming from just how this whole idea of objectification has been traditionally framed in the, in the literature and in kind of broader society. Um, so most, most people assume that when you see someone uh, kind of as a body, right, as a sexual object, um, you see them as an object and you totally strip away their mind. Um, additionally, most people think of this phenomenon as something that happens when men perceive women um, specifically. And so what we wondered is whether one, 
this occurs for when anyone views anyone more as a body. And additionally, um, it doesn't involve the total dementalization or wholesale stripping away of mind, but instead confers a different kind of mind. Interesting. So how would you define objectification then in a more, uh, I guess, clinical, technical way? So how would you define, well, the term objectification um, is just the idea that when you see someone as an object, so you fail to ascribe them the kind of mental states that are normally ascribed to a person, and you just see them as an object. So in, in one study that uh, a colleague of mine ran, she found that for, for men who are very hostile, when they viewed women in bikinis, the area of the brain that lit up was associated with tool use and not mental states attribution. So that's kind of traditional objectification, um, whereas we wanted to see if, if, in fact, focusing on the body didn't lead to objectification, but instead led to a, a redistribution of mind, is what we called it. So uh, briefly, what, would you, what were the conclusions? So what we found is that, indeed, when you see someone as a, as a body, uh, or the more you focus on their body, the less you see them as capable of agentic states, like states like doing and planning and acting and intentions. Um, but in fact, the more capable you saw them at, with experiential states, so feeling sensations, emotion, um, being sensitive to experience, things like that. So it's a, a redistribution of mind. So nudity is not necessarily objectification then. Is that, is that the right conclusion then? Exactly. Uh, whether it's nudity or simply, you know, one study, we just had people focus on the body in their mindsets. So ask people, how attractive is this person versus how professional does this person look? And even just simply kind of focusing attention on the body um, doesn't lead to objectification, but instead to perception of a different kind of mind. So, uh, but you did say that uh, one of your colleagues did a study where uh, certain men looking at women in bikinis, there was objectification going on. Is that right? Right. So this was a subsample of men who are known to be uh, highly hostile or show lots of hostile sexism. Um, so perhaps for those men uh, in particular, this holds, but you could... I wonder if it goes the other way, if you have kind of hostile uh, issues against men for women. I'm not sure. That's kind of you know, random speculation. But So there is a subsample of, of people who show this. But in general, I mean, and we ran uh, over 1,000 people uh, in just one of our studies, we found that this kind of compensatory effect, less agency but more experience. And so how would you translate that in layman's term? What is, uh, when you see somebody nude, how would you treat them differently as a result? Well, I think what the research suggests is that you would uh, treat them less in terms of their goals and their plans and more in terms of how, what they're feeling and their experiences. Um, and in, in one of the studies, in fact, in the final study in this paper, we wondered if objectification or seeing someone as a body is always a bad thing because, you know, traditional uh, feminist scholars, for instance, suggest that seeing someone as a body is always a bad thing. Um, but if seeing someone as a body leads you to ascribe a different kind of mind, then there might be situations in which it's actually good to see someone as a body. 
And so what we did was asked people to administer a series of electric shocks to another person. And what we did was we got them to shock someone who's either fully clothed or someone who is naked from the waist up. And what we found is that relative to the person who is clothed, people gave fewer electric shocks to the person um, who is half naked because they were viewed as a body and more vulnerable and more sensitive to experience. Um, so it suggests that you know, when you have this kind of mindset to protect someone, this kind of nakedness can lead you to protect them more. That's very interesting. It's interesting because as a naturist, as I'm sure you know, uh, we, we believe that, you know, that the way we view each other's bodies is, is artificial and that we can normalize that situation. But we also say that as a result of doing that, a lot of naturists report, uh, in fact, I would say most naturists report that uh, when everybody's nude, they're having uh, more uh, personal, open, intimate, not a sexual intimate, just more uh, close conversations and connections with people, which might, uh, you might say, agrees with what you saw in terms of that experiment. Yeah, and I also, I mean, from the, from the point of view of being sensitive to other people's experiences, that maybe is one reason why, um, why that's the case, right? You're just more in tune in realizing that someone has experiences. I mean, it seems with this protection idea, right? It seems like naturalists don't go around fighting each other, you know? No. Uh, no, no, it's certainly uh, not about aggression, um, but it's it's also the, uh, a fight against the objectification, or at least the uh, mainstream concept of objectification that uh, people say happens out there. It's very hard to objectify a completely nude person uh, because they seem like a one whole entire being, especially when you're nude yourself. Um, but you certainly do see um, the discomfort of the people who come in to our world, if you will, uh, you know, who are not there to visit, to participate, but are there because mm -hmm. they're delivery people or something like that. Uh, it's always interesting that way. <clears throat> do you... Um, so, you know, I would, you know, tr try to suggest that the wearing of the clothing is what causes the objectification. Would you disagree with that possibility? Um, well, I think, I think the issue is it's just what you're used to, and that's what's the context, right? Um, so I think... I think, again, the idea of objectification as kind of described by the term objectification, isn't quite right. Um, so I think, you know, seeing someone in clothes gives them a different kind of mind than being naked, and that kind of mind is maybe someone who who's more agentic, who, who kind of is more intentional, who acts more. Um, what, you know, this would have to be borne up by research. What I would suggest is that perhaps maybe naturalists have a different baseline for viewing people. So... Perhaps you and your colleagues view uh, a naked person as already having uh, significantly more agency when they're naked than someone who, you know, typically wears clothes. Right. Uh, but I would still suggest that the kind of same phenomena uh, are at play, and that might help explain some of the kind of benefits of you know, being naked around your peers. Do you think, would you or anybody that you know suggest that this reaction towards the nude body versus the dressed body is innate or learned? 
uh, <laughs> that is a very sticky question, um, and one one that I don't have an answer for. Um, I think I think those questions are very difficult, but certainly it seems to be uh, innate this kind of discrepancy between um, viewing the physical world and sometimes the body goes into that, and viewing the social world. So the kind of deeper explanation behind this effect that we hypothesized is this kind of idea of, of dualism. Hmm. Um, so the idea of dualism is that people typically perceive the body to be distinct from the mind, right? So if someone dies, then their soul goes on to heaven, right? Um, and if you think back to kind of ancient philosophy, there's this idea of, you know, there's a mind that's put into the, into the body, and it has to kind of grapple with the body seething passions, right? Um, and so we separate the kind of human world into these higher cognitions and these lower passions. And that's what this effect kind of suggests, is that when you see someone as a body, you see them more in terms of these passions, and when you see someone um, you know, more as a, as a quote-unquote mind or perhaps more clothed, right, you see them in terms of, of these cognitions. Right. But it, to me, it seems inherently obvious to me <laughs> that that kind of perception, when people are clothed as seeing them more as a, uh, a mind, uh, that that has to be learned, uh, because we didn't spend most of our evolutionary time uh, wearing a bunch of clothing all the time. Right. Yeah, so that that's... That could be, right? Um, or maybe clothing just kind of yeah, increased perceptions of agency. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely wouldn't argue that, that you're kind of born with this innate um, sense of objectification. But certainly you're kind of born with this sense that people are different from physical things and souls are different from bodies. And out of that, you can kind of bootstrap different perceptions. Um, but I certainly make, wouldn't make claims about innateness, uh, one way or the other. No, well, I, I understand, you know, as a scientist, it's hard to, you don't want to be making any claims. Um, it, it's, there's a lot of uh, literature throughout, you know, the last century that I've read, because this is a topic that's interesting to me, where, you know, there's assumptions, for example, that uh, children might have natural uh, sense of shame when they reach a certain age and feel the need to cover up. Um, you know, it seems odd that we make assumptions based on the way we are now and the world we are in, as opposed to starting with a theory that we have molded and shaped the world um, to make us who we are. And uh, the, the obsession with wearing clothing all the time for, you know, reasons other than protection, um, I, I don't know how it can be assumed that that would be, could in any way be a normal, natural thing given the million years of evolution we've been around. Of course, we weren't there, so maybe we were always ashamed. We just couldn't find anything to cover up with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm definitely with you there. I don't think... Um, I mean, if you look cross-culturally, there's wide variation in what kind of clothes people wear, and I don't think that kids have natural experiences to the world wearing clothing without kind of being culturally conditioned first. Um, there's certainly many things that are in, inborn or more or less innate, but I don't think shame to be naked is one of them. 
Okay. Now, can you tell me also, you were talking about, in the article, talked about the morality side of nudity versus dress. Yeah, so it's kind of linked to this idea of of this protection, um, but one of the, the kind of theories I'm developing suggests that we view others in the moral world as kind of one of two ways. One is as a moral agent, so someone who does moral acts like a hero or a villain, and one is as a moral patient, someone who receives moral acts, so like a victim or a beneficiary. Um, and what we found in the study is that those who are seen you know, more in terms of their body are viewed more as moral patients and less as moral agents, because again, moral agents are connected to this doing and acting and attention as moral patients are connected to feeling and sensing. And so the more you see someone as a body, then the less blameworthy you think they are for doing bad things and the more sensitive you think they are to being harmed. Hmm. And it, it, with that, would you say that's probably extends even further if you take a uniform into account, perhaps, like something that of, of authority in terms of being a moral agent? Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's definitely other things that are going on with the uniform, um, right, because they've been culturally imbued with the sense of authority. But it is interesting to know how much uniforms cover up, right? I mean, you have high collars and hats and things like that um, that cover up kind of maximum amounts of skin. So I think they're probably designed to make the wearer seem maximally agentic in either good or evil, um, as opposed to someone doesn't wear a uniform. Right, right. There, there's a, uh, there was a uh, social psychologist in uh, France who described a number of different types of nudity. Um, there was uh, nudity, practical nudity, for example, where you're showering or whatever. There was sexual nudity. Um, uh, obviously, naturist nudity was a some slightly different, another kind of nudity. Uh, but they was also talking about they were talking about nudity then as a um, uh, for power, um, where in order to torture people or to uh, control them, uh, they use nudity and. Uh, the, the most extreme example of that, of course, were the, uh, the the Nazis during the war stripping people down as they came into the concentration camps. Is that, and obviously they were trying to make then the the patients feel like moral patients, if you will, the victims, I guess. Is that, does that, mm-hmm. do you think that's what was going on there? Is that why we do that? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's part of a, a broader phenomena because we associate status and things like that with clothes, right? Um, and if you're, right, look, Jews were reasonably well off. Um, and so if you strip them of suits and things like that, right, then you reduce them um, in status. There's also this kind of intrinsic link between, um, you know, nakedness and al- animality, right? So animals don't wear clothes um, and we perceive animals in kind of the same ways that um that we found here, right? Worthy of protection, sensitive to harm, but not able to be held accountable, right? So if a puppy does something bad, you, you know, you don't put it on trial, you just say bad puppy and kind of move on. So perhaps what the, what the Nazis were trying to do was kind of emphasize this animality and strip them of their kind of higher cognition. Hmm. Interesting. So was uh, shame, embarrassment, offense, did that come in at all in what you studied? 
No, this, uh, no, because we only did kind of perceptions of others as opposed to how people feel uh, themselves. And, and the other thing is we did it kind of um, in, the, in the kind of realm of what, what people are normally, um, what people are normally seeing. I mean, one, speaking of, of kind of shameless, one group that we did investigate in terms of perceptions of were adult film stars. So in the, in the one study with a thousand people, there's this book out called Triple um, X, 30 Porn Star Portraits. And for psychologists, it's a perfect book because it has amazingly controlled stimuli. So this photographer took pictures of film stars um, fully clothed and film stars fully naked uh, in the exact same poses with the exact same lighting and the exact same facial expressions. Um, and so it provided kind of this unique sense of, you know, investigating how people did it in a very controlled way. Um, and yeah, people, people didn't seem ashamed when they were, when they were writing these, these stars. And I don't get the sense that these stars felt, felt ashamed to be pictured either. The other the question is what is nudity? Um, there, there's different levels of nudity that make, uh, uh, people feel different ways. What I, my personal observation. So, you know, if I, uh, you know, if if I was to wear uh, knee-high socks, shoes, a shirt, a hat, uh, long sleeves, uh, and mittens, but not no pants, people would call right. me nude. <laughs> As <all. laughs> right. Um, whereas if I was uh, wearing just shorts and in the summer, nobody would suggest I was nude, even though in that case I might have more showing. Uh, similarly. Uh, women wearing bras and underwear might be described on the street as nude, but not in a bikini, even though the clothing may actually be less revealing in their underwear. So right. when you, but when you were talking about nude, you meant full nudity in that case, generally speaking. Yeah, although we did look at um, at bikinis in the first study um, and just topless men, you know, which we kind of see all the time in the last study. Um, I mean, even just focusing, focusing on someone's kind of biological functioning. So in one study with, where we assess morality, we described someone in terms of how fast their heart beat, um, right? So just focusing the attention on the body, um, and we got effects that way. So this appears to happen no matter how you do it, um, whether it's kind of physical displays of nudity or mindsets or just focusing attention on biology. So uh, nudity may not actually be that important of a factor. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, I think nudity is a powerful way to introduce a bodily focus. Okay. Um, especially for, for people who aren't used to seeing others nude. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're a naturist, I'm not sure that the uh, kind of manipulation would be as powerful, right? Because you're not, you know, you're, you're used to seeing people who are, who are nude all the time. Um, and so you might have to have to be creative and emphasizing the body in more ways, for instance. Uh, but certainly for kind of average person, showing someone in a bikini or even um, naked or shirtless, you know, focuses attention on the body enough. Yeah, I mean, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's the, the, the shock, the effect that you get uh, is, I, I think, is obviously learned because it used to be that you could do that just by showing a, a leg uh, whereas that really doesn't have much of an impact anymore. Um, but there was a time where just showing an ankle or a leg was quite uh, racy because you never saw it and therefore got people's attention. Yeah, and, and so 
in one of the other studies, we looked at the kind of role of sexual suggestiveness, um, and it exacerbated this effect. Um, so the more kind of suggestive a pose was, the even less agency you ascribed, and uh, the more experience you saw. Um, and so again, perhaps if you're used to seeing people naked all the time, right, the kind of nudity loses its sexual suggestiveness um, and further would undermine this effect. So where are you going next with uh, these studies? Um, well, I think I think what I'm interested in uh, in terms of these studies is demonstrating times at which uh, a kind of bodily focus is a good thing, um, because you know it probably doesn't argue against your experience or your theorizing, but a lot of a lot of the literature out there, especially kind of feminist theory, suggests that you know seeing someone as a body is always a bad thing, and so where I'd go in the future is saying, you know, when it's a good thing and, and when it might be a good thing, for instance, is in the bedroom or with a, with a significant other, right? You want to be attuned to their desire and their body, for instance, um, in intimate encounters. And so this might be a good time to see them as a body. Uh, so are you saying that uh, part of what your study might suggest is that it may not be negative to uh, objectify. I, I, you know, I, I noted it, one of the keywords in the uh, the abstract was uh, pornography. Um, do you think that the effect of pornography may be overstated? Uh, <laughs> that question is a is a minefield. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, so pornography is a different and a very multifaceted thing, right? Are we are we talking someone in a bikini or kind of? you know, aggressive, violent pornography. And I think in a kind of impersonal sense, right, pornography or seeing someone just as a sexual object is is probably a bad thing. But what I'm suggesting is that in a kind of personal sense, right, if you have a relationship with someone and you already conceive them as a mind, right, sometimes it can be good to seeing them as a body. For instance, if you have a, a spouse that you always think about in terms of their acts and their deeds and talk about work and things like that, right? Sometimes you just need to think of them as a body, as someone who experiences to kind of, right, connect with them intimately. At least that's it. Right. Well, it's, it, it's almost like you need a new word other than objectification because that one's become so uh, loaded. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so we call it a redistribution of mind, but that's uh, not a great term. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. Um, right, but it's the kind of crux, even though it has a bad name, is still the same, that sometimes it's okay to see someone as a body because it doesn't dementalize them, but instead you know, redistributes that mind. The other kind of condition um, or limiting condition that I expect is the case, although I hadn't tested it, is when you perceive someone as just a specific body part, right? So in the pictures we used, you kind of always showed people's faces, uh, and then you can still appreciate them as kind of a person, right? But you can imagine cutting someone off of the neck and at the stomach and just viewing their breasts, for instance, in the case of women, right? I would guess that that might objectify them because you're really just seeing someone as as a body part. Um, and so to the extent that pornography kind of focuses or highlights specific body parts um, at the expense of a whole person view, I, I could imagine that objectification still might hold. Well, thank you very much. That was very interesting. I think that'll make an interesting podcast. Great, yeah. Happy to, happy to help. And if you ever want to bring in naturists into your studies, I, I think that would be an interesting twist. You Feel free to give me a call, and uh, 
I can help you get in touch with uh, people. Yeah, it's definitely, I will definitely think about it. Um, you know, when you emailed me, uh, I definitely was open to the possibilities, right? It's always neat to do kind of unique samples um, that should have um, different effects on, on a theory and, and matrix are certainly, certainly a unique sample uh, for this kind of stuff. Well, that's all for this episode of The Naturist Living Show. Thank you again for listening. My name is Stéphane Deschain, and I am your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park, just north of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. You'll find links to all the items that we talked about in the show notes, and those show notes are found on our website at naturistliving.bearoaks.ca. That's B-A-R-E oaks.ca. Uh, Keep sending those comments, those suggestions, those emails. I really do appreciate them and it does keep me going. The show's email address is naturistliving at bearoaks.ca. of course, because we are in Canada. Join us again in about a month for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca.